Cleaning every cat he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of Yahweh. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, with Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection. For children have come to birth, and there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps Yahweh your God will hear the words of Reb Shekah, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which Yahweh your God has heard. Therefore offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah prayed to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says Yahweh, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Okay. So what's Hezekiah's response to this threat? Exactly. He's grief-stricken. He recognizes their helpless condition. He sends delegates to Isaiah the prophet, say to him, thus says Hezekiah, verse 3, this is a day of distress, rebuke, rejection. Children have come to birth and there's no strength to deliver. We don't have what it takes to deal with this. One of the things that's necessary to receive God's help is is admitting we aren't strong enough in ourselves to deal with it. And he's very clear about that. You know, there's nothing we can do. So often our pride keeps us from receiving God's help. But he admits we don't know what to do. Perhaps the Lord will hear the words of Rabshakeh. You know, so pray for us. You know, there's a sense in which, as we said at the beginning, this crisis was caused by the people of Judah's own mistakes in turning to the Assyrians a generation before. Maybe a little bit in Hezekiah's mistakes in turning to the Egyptians before. Even when the crisis is our own fault, we can still pray about it. And we need to. No matter what caused it, no matter how much we contributed to it, we need to turn to God in every crisis. And what does Isaiah have them say back to uh, Isaiah? What does Hezekiah have them say back to Isaiah? What does it backwards? No, I might have said it backwards. What does Isaiah have them say back to Hezekiah? Okay. Sorry about that. God's saying, I'll take care of this. Don't be intimidated. Don't be worried. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put a spirit in Sennacherib. He's going to hear a rumor and go back to his own land. And I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Now that's interesting. I mean, what kind of a world-shaking event is going to send Sennacherib back home? A rumor. A rumor. 
You know, that's about all that it took. I mean, God sometimes can use such simple, easy things to completely reverse the direction of history. And that's what he does right here. I'll, I'll, I'll send a room, he'll be back home, and he'll fall there. But it's interesting that the thing that got the uh, Israelites all over, and the people living in Jerusalem so worried was just words, was him saying, I'm going to do this, I'm trusting God, you know, all these words, and then the thing that sends him back eventually leads his death to just a room of his words, you know. Good point. That yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Defeating him with his own weapon. Other thoughts? Yes. Are we to make anything out of Hezekiah turning directly to Isaiah, praying to your God, when later Hezekiah will do it himself? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's not different than us seeking prayers from others and recognizing that Isaiah would perhaps be able to get an answer from God as a prophet to bring back. I think it's interesting that because this problem was caused by them, they're saved, but they don't, they don't get any victory from it. Sennacherib goes back to his own land, he's killed by his own sons, and Hezekiah really doesn't get much out of it. God wants him back to his own land. Good point. Yeah, you're right. This is not going to end up being a great victory for Judah. It's going to be a great relief to Judah, but yeah, Douglas. I feel like we kind of see a lack of faith in Hezekiah. Because his words come and he tears his clothes. This is a, a terrible day. And then he sends to Isaiah and he says, perhaps, maybe by chance, your God can do something about it. I kind of, I kind of feel like he's, he's doubting a lot. You know what I'm saying? Maybe your God, whom you know, I don't really have faith in anymore, you know, kind of a, a doubting sense. He says, perhaps he can. Yeah. On the other hand, it's a lot more faith than his father has, had who wasn't even willing to turn to God at all. Uh, so perhaps the faith of the Jews is growing at this period. Um, that's a good point. I mean, that might be the perhaps of reference. You have that sometimes, like in Jonah and Joel. You know, perhaps if we repent, the Lord will relent, but perhaps we shouldn't be too, um, like, taking it for granted, too arrogant to assert. Maybe that's the idea. I don't know. Other thoughts? Maybe it's just as a guy realizing that if God doesn't step in, the natural course of events will be destruction. So I think it will have to be coming from God. It may be that the Lord God will hear it and step in. But he knows otherwise than it tells. Exactly. All right. Um, 8 to 13. <coughs> the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Libna. When he heard them say concerning Tirhaka, the king of Cush, he has come out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. 
so will you be spared? To the gods of those nations which my fathers have destroyed deliver them, even Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the sons of Eden who are in Zelazar. Where is the king of Hanan, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim and of Hena and Eva? Alright. So when Rabshakeh goes back, the king of Assyria is fighting against Libna. Then they've heard that Terhaka, the king of Cush, has come to fight against them. This could be a pretty tough situation when it's all said and done. You start getting too many enemies fighting against you all at the same time, and what do you do? How do you deal with that? And uh, so, so he's kind of worried about that. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of interesting how the Assyrians deal with this tough situation where they've got enemies on two or three different fronts. You know, they're sort of in danger of getting out of planet. He sends messengers down to Hezekiah and does what? What's he trying to do with it? Says it's not over yet. We'll be back. Or... Yeah, and basically is still trying to get him to do what? Surrender. Yeah, he wants to intimidate him with a letter into surrender. You know, he's talking big because he really doesn't have the math power to deal with it right now. So he says, don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying Jerusalem will not be given in the hand of the king of Assyria. You've heard of all we've done. The gods didn't deliver those peoples. And look at how it gets personal in verse 13. Where's the king of Hamath? The king of Arbat? The king of the city of Sepharaim and of Hena and of Iva? Where are those kings? I'll tell you what. You better surrender. You know what happened to those kings and those other nations? You know our track record. Uh, I think, you know, he's just trying one last attempt to try to be so strong in letter that they just give up. And they don't have to send a military division down there. And the issue is, will Hezekiah continue to trust God when his life's on the line? When, when everything in his mind might indicate, you know, he'll be done for if he doesn't give in. So that's the threat that the Assyrians are sending back by letter delivered by messengers. Comments or questions through verse 13? Look. If, the, if the Assyrians are so powerful, why are they, do they seem so afraid to just go out and attack? Uh, good question. Put your money where your mouth is. They were powerful, but they got quite a few enemies they're dealing with at the moment. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, if they're that powerful, why bother even the negotiations? Just steamroll them. Yes, Tim. This whole siege process, no matter how powerful you like going up to fortified city is still like a big deal. Because even Roman and Jerusalem is a lot of hassle. So yeah, they, did, they weren't able to bomb them like we can today. So uh, a walled city is kind of an obstacle. You know, maybe you'll get them eventually, but you're going to have to have a lot of people there for a long time waiting them out. Yeah, I think it's right. interesting that, you know, uh, Sennacherib is trying to deceive these people, but in verse, uh, in verse 10, he says, you know, don't, don't let your God deceive you. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. In other words, that's one of the techniques saying use it, that God is the one lying to us. 
you know that we can put in the trust of God. Yes, good point. Other comments? Alright, so what's Hezekiah going to do with the letter? And with this renewed verbal threat, 14 to 20. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, the king of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and the earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to all the words of Sennacherib, who sent them to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord our God, Deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may not know you alone, Lord, or our God. Alright, I like this. What does Hezekiah do with the letter? Let's God read it. <laughs> yes! He goes up to the house of God and opens the letter up before God and says, Lord, here's the letter. Look at it. <laughs> read this letter. I mean, I like that because it demonstrates a real faith that God can read the letter and that God can deal with it. I mean, it's kind of presenting the problem directly to God. And he, he spreads it out before the Lord and he says, You know, God, look, you are the God of all the kingdoms of the earth. Does God look like the God of all the kingdoms of the earth at this moment? That's faith. And, and he says, you know, listen to the words of Sennacherib to reproach the living God. He says, they really have devastated all the countries and cast all their gods into the fire. But they were humanly made gods. And so, verse 20, Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, that all the kings of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, our God. He's seeking God's glory. He's seeking God's reputation. He trusts and believes in God. He spreads the letter out before him. And he says, prove yourself so everybody will glorify you. Comments and questions? Perhaps we'll see a little growth here because he had from the last one we just before he just I don't know out, you know, like well, the language he uses to, to Isaiah is, you know, maybe the Lord your God will help us. You know, it's almost like to Isaiah, you know that's a good relationship with God. So Isaiah help me here. And now she's going directly to God, and almost like he's now growing up where he can do that himself. Good point. Maybe so. Yeah, Douglas. I mean we see the application for us in the specifics of his prayer, and he kind of he takes the real problem that he has, he actually takes the letter before the Lord and says, read this. I think, I know a lot of times feel that specifics maybe are necessary. God knows them, you know, so I just need help. I just need strength. Well, it's like he's saying, he is attacking me, you know. He's destroyed the other nations. I'm afraid. He's kind of very specific um, wants and needs that has a bring for him. Good point. You see that in the Psalms a lot. Where the people who are praying 
tell God about the situation. I think we have tended not to tell those things to God because we say, oh, he already knows. Well, if you were not going to say in prayer anything God already knew, what would you say? <laughs> Nothing. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. I think we need to communicate with God in a real way. And so it's perfectly right for us to say, Lord, here's the situation. Here's the problem that I'm facing. And we explain it like we'd explain it to anybody else. And we ask for God's involvement and help based upon our respect and recognition of who God is. Uh, if, we would, if we would actually communicate with God instead of just saying about everything, oh, he knows that, he knows that, he knows that. Well, of course he does. Prayer is not a matter of informing God of something he doesn't know. Prayer is talking to God about things that are troubling to us as well as you know other things that we ought to be presenting before God. Okay. And so I think before we um, go to go to friends or go to counseling for help, we need, we need to spread our problems before the Lord and, and let Him know our problems. Amen. Other thoughts? Yes. I think the problem is the fact that we are ashamed to say something out loud and say something that we have we have sinned. We're afraid to say it out loud just because. Uh, like anybody else in this world, you're, you're afraid to say something to them because of what they might do to you back. But what we see here, Hezekiah, he needs help. He's not ashamed to say that he needs the strength of God to help him. And with us, it seems as though, whether we're ashamed or not, that's, I guess, not the case. But it's rather we're afraid to say it out loud because of what other people might say. But we need to realize that God isn't going to point and laugh at us and say, oh, how weak you are, or something like that. He will always going to be there for us to give us the strength that we need to overcome this thing or something like that. But it's, it's uh, I guess, the age-old problem to say, I have sinned. Yes. Good point. It's kind of cool. I'm sorry. Either way, you know, I think, I think my chronology is right about this, that he's taken the gold off the temple doors, he's tried to go to Egypt, and there's really not many options left for him but to turn to God. And it's really Great by God, he's you know, he leaves out his guy no options, and has got finally matured to the point he knows he needs to turn to God. And the God's not so at that point, he's willing to hear an earnest appeal, even when we reject God repeatedly. Amen. Good point. Now, I think what's really hard for me is to really think about God when I'm in distress or whatever and pray for God's glorification out of my deliverance. Like, usually when I like pity myself or whatever. Um, yeah. Yes, it is. That's focused on the Lord and not just our pathetic selves and our problem that we're so worried about. Yes. That's so hard because a lot of time. I mean, because we are so frustrated that we want to prove to ourselves and to others that we can do it by ourselves. And it just seems so hard sometimes to do the least of things we want to do and forgetting ourselves and uh, so for me sometimes, and we all sometimes, no matter kind of what Dad was saying, forget your feelings and do the last thing you do. The Lord never goes by feeling, the Lord goes by feeling. Amen. Yes. Good points. Yeah, Tim. Um, I don't want to mention that Hezekiah asked 
wrestle with the problem and slowly come to the right conclusion. And it's kind of the same thing you see with Jesus with his uh, crucifixion. And he spent the entire night before the lesson preparing. I think that shows us the value and the effectiveness of wrestling things over with God. You know, this, and so when there is a problem, that when we do this process, it does it. And in the meantime, we send temptation to things that, you know, catch us off guard, like the rich young ruler who has been told to sell everything. You know, he wasn't prepared for that. So he tells us we need to, when we have problems, work hard to deal with that, but also the rest of our life, keep dealing with everything. So when you get a sudden problem, you can. I think we could say that turning to God strengthens our faith. Look at the Psalms of Lament and how many of those start very low, how long, why, and end with great confidence that God will deal with the problem and even expressions of praise and thanks because we know God will do it. Now, what changed? A lot of people say, well, those songs were written in two parts. First part was before the solution comes, and the second part was after God already delivers or whatever. I don't really think so. I think it's what happens to us when we turn to God. That as we express the problem to God, as we're thinking about God, as we talk to God, our faith grows in that and strengthens to the point where we have confidence that maybe we didn't when we began the prayer. So maybe this is an indication that Hezekiah's faith is growing as he continues turning to God in the problem. I think it's a good good suggestion. Other thoughts? Great. We don't know much about how Isaiah is feeling right now. Uh, let's just imagine if, if he didn't continue to rely upon the Lord and faithfully present the message to Hezekiah. And I think uh, we should think about his role too and being that for someone else who is going through a difficult time in life. Amen. Good point. Good comments. Any other thoughts? All right. Uh, well, God's got something to say about all this after uh, Hezekiah has spread the letter out. So Isaiah 37, verses 21 to 35. And Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have praised me about Sennacherib, king of Syria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you, both the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy One of Israel? Through your servants you have reproached the Lord, and you have said, With many chariots, I came up to the heights of the mountains, to the remotest parts of Lebanon. I cut down its tall cedars and, and its choice cypresses. And I will go to its highest peak, its thickest forest. I dug wells and drank waters, and with the sole of my feet, I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago I did it. From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought, to it, brought it to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore your, their inhabitants were short of strength. They were dismayed and put to shame. They were as the vegetation of the field and as the green herbs, as grass on the housetops, it scorched up before it is grown it scorched before it is grown up. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me. Because of your raging against me and because your arrogance has come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and 
my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. Then this shall be the sign for you. You shall eat this year what grows of itself, and the second year what springs from the same, and in the third year so reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the kingdom of Syria, he shall not come to this city, nor or shoot an arrow there. Neither shall he come before it with a shield, nor throw up a mountain against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake, and for my servant David's sake. Okay. So, you have God speaking to Isaiah, really speaking to Sennacherib. You know, he says, what do you think you're doing? You have been prideful against the Lord. You have talked about all these great things you're doing. Look at verse 24. Through your servants, you reproached the Lord. You said, with my many chariots, I came up to the height of the mountains, to the remotest parts of Lebanon, and I cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypresses, and I will go to its highest peak and say, I dug wells. The sole of my feet, I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Sennacherib has eye trouble. He's way too focused on himself, thinking he's doing it himself. God says, have you not heard? Long ago I did it, from ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. <laughs> How did you think it was that you managed to have all these accomplishments? It's because I planned it and I executed it through you. This was not Sennacherib's power. This was the Lord's power. And Sennacherib thought it was him. Of all things. And so he says, here's what I'm going to do. I see your arrogance and your pride and your raging against me. So, verse 29, I'm going to put my hook in your nose. And my bridle in your lips. I'm just going to turn you right back around and send you back home. That's all it's going to take on God's part. I mean, just how much effort does it take for God to send the whole Assyrian army back where it came from. Well, as much effort as it takes to stick a hook in somebody's nose and wheel them around with it. I suspect it wouldn't take a whole lot of force if you had a hook in somebody's nose to get them to respond to whatever direction you wanted them to go to. You know, that, that's, that's what he's going to do. And so he tells Hezekiah in 30 to 32, don't worry, by the third year you'll be eating the fruit of your, the things you planted and, and you'll be thriving again. And he says about Sennacherib in 33, he will not even shoot an arrow at the city. He won't throw up a siege ramp. He will go home the same way he came I will defend this city for my own sake. God is the ruler, and God is not going to let Sennacherib destroy Jerusalem. That's God's answer to Hezekiah's prayer. Comments and questions? Yes? I think we need, in verse 21, why he says, because you have prayed to me. 
I think it's easy just to get that up there. Eventually, we've got the action. So Hezekiah shows that. Good point. Yes, that's exactly right. This is God's response to Hezekiah's prayer. Yes. Something I guess uh, I find really humbling in this situation is that God showing, um, making what he's doing, he's going to humble him because the kingdom's become too powerful. And I, I guess that's a scary thought when it comes to how I live my life. Because I know it's very easy to cut up, especially when we're doing something to help somebody find the gospel, help somebody find Christ. You can take it upon yourself and think that that was me, that I did that. That's because I talked to that person. And it has nothing to do with what we can say. It has nothing to do with what we do. Obviously, the only reason we know the gospel is because God gave us the opportunity to know the gospel. And I don't know, I just... I think this is a really interesting way of God proving who He is. He'll do whatever it takes, no matter who you are, to humbly make sure that He gets the glory for His own sake. Excellent point. You're exactly right. Justin? Um, it's, you, you kind of see this in, in Job as well. It's like, where were you when you created this world? Was in Job. You get the same picture. It's, uh, um, it's like, when will you learn you're, you're not as powerful as you think? I mean, it, it's like the toy thinking it's as, uh, as good as it's created. Uh, you're not as you're not as big as your as your mind seems to, to let you know. And then later on, when you grab them by the hook, or it, it reminds me of a teacher who grabs a little student by the ear and just moves them along and kind of points his finger at What are you doing? And uh, just it's it's amazing how easy it is for him. It's it's just the power that he has. Good point. Yes. Other comments. Can do the season actually bring this upon himself uh, by calling, you know, saying he seemed to give the word against his people. Obviously, it was Hezekiah's prayer that seemed to do it. But, I mean, you can see later, we're going to see in chapter 40 about the Lord even saying, Those that are strong will last compared to me. It's those that wait upon me and call upon me in 40, 20, 20 and 31. For the patience of Hezekiah and his willingness to sit. Give up all total reign for the Lord as he hadn't done in the beginning. He tried to take the situation by for himself. It's amazing and humbling. We don't do that very much. So many times we want to take things into our own hands and make them work instead of allowing the Lord to do what he will. It's a lot better to trust in the Lord, isn't it? Than I sure like this image in uh, verse 31 where it says that the, the remnant is going to take root downward and bear fruit upward. It's something that we should constantly be striving to do where we're constantly trying to grow closer to God and build our relationship with Him, make that more firm in His Word and through prayer, but at the same time trying to do work for Him and serve Him and serve others and bear fruit. It's like it's going to be like, you know, our constant to take root downward and bear fruit upward. Yeah, good point. Yes, Bruce. So the image I see in verse 29 is that of like a painting of a wild animal. It's like it's raging and yet it's going to put bridle in the place. So it's kind of like he's shaking around uh, so violently and yet you're not really going to shake around when you've got a boogie in your nose. So it's almost like God is bringing him under, under his full control. Kind of taming him. Yeah. Yes. Good point. Is, is the sign just in verse 30 or is 31 part of the sign or is that just jumping ahead then to some other... Uh, well, I think 31 and 32 are kind of um, an explanation of verse 30. I think the sign is by the third year you'll be eating your plant, what, what you planted. 
But what that means is the remnant of Judah will take root and bear fruit. Uh, there will be this remnant that the Lord will bless. So I think 31 and 32 are kind of explaining verse 30. What does that mean? Which is for their time plus, isn't that also a, uh, a prophecy for the, the remnant remaining, maybe even long term, all the way to Jesus? Well, you know, it's the kind of thing that God does all the time. God is always blessing the remnant. So I think that may be a specific application of a general principle. Okay. Roger. No, this is, I just don't. I didn't get that part. Well, he's just saying, okay, um, you know, this year, and next year, all you'll eat are just volunteer stuff that happens to grow. But by by the the third year, you'll sow, you'll reap, you'll plant vineyards, and you'll eat their fruit. So you'll actually be able to farm by the third year. You can't farm when the Assyrians are coming, you know, every once in a while and, you know, besieging you or surrounding you or whatever. But by the third year, the Assyrians are going to be gone and you'll be able to just do normal farming. Oh, it's a sign from Judah. Yeah, it's a sign that within three years everything will be cool. But it's not really a sign. Like, by the time the sign happens, the Assyrians will already be gone. So yeah. It's not like, yeah, I'm going to show you this miracle so that you know. It's just like... Yeah, it's not that kind of a sign. It's more or less... Um, I don't know. There... Even perhaps in some ways what he's saying is a sign. It's kind of a symbol. And uh, whatever. But yeah, it's not. he's not trying to say this is something that, that you can now know uh, that it will happen by this. It's something that they will see in the next three years. It's something they can now know the series are going to keep on coming back and forth. I mean, you think well, your group report they're going to take care of that and they come back, but I think God is, is showing in this case that he's right, and so when this comes true, he's right again. He's going to keep on being right. Exactly. Other thoughts? Yes. Similar to what God told Moses the burning bush, he said, you know, you're going to take my people out of Egypt, and he says, a sign for you is that... Uh, Sometime you'll be back at the same exact non-worship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's right. Uh huh. Anything else? Good comments. Good discussion. Okay. Thirty-six to thirty-eight. sending his messengers to propagandize at the city walls of Jerusalem, God now sends a messenger of his own who spends a night in the Assyrian camp and manages to do what? Knock off 185,000 of his soldiers. (laughs) Wow. Can you imagine what angel can destroy 185,000 soldiers in a night's work? I mean, how many angels does God have? 
Can you imagine what would happen if he sent a whole division? I mean, he'd wipe out the whole universe. It's amazing. And um, as a result of that uh, bad night, what does Sennacherib do? Goes home. Wise move. <laughs> well, sort of wise move. About 20 years later, in verse 38, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his God, two of his own sons kill him with the sword. Isn't that incredible? Nisroch, Sennacherib's God, couldn't even deliver him from death in his own temple. Kind of reminds you of some of the stuff that uh, the Rav Shaka was saying, like back in 36.19, where are the gods? And who among the gods? And in 37.12, did, did the gods of those nations do any good? I'm wondering, where is his god? You know, if, if your god isn't god enough to keep you from being assassinated by your own sons in your own temple... I don't think that God's worth much. And so much for Sennacherib and his gods. Comments or questions? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know if he's talking about maybe the rumor of verse uh, um, 9 about Jehaka coming out to fight. Maybe that's the rumor or maybe it's an unspecified one. I'm not sure. I think it might have something to do with the that was the whole army, and you wake up in the morning, and you know, a third of the army dead. <coughs> sickness, maybe, I don't know what to do, but I think that's something to do with it. Good bit. Yeah, good bit. Steve. Uh, if, if you look at the actual history of King Sennacher, my source has come from uh, another individual named Gene Cubis, who's also a Christian. He looks at the history uh, quite in depth. But if you look at the, the human history of King Sennacher, uh, his palace was taken to like a, a British museum or something. And today, you can actually go look and see what was written about King Sennacher on the walls of the palace or in the prison, I don't remember where. But he says that he wiped out Hezekiah and that he caged Hezekiah the bird. And the history of it is really interesting. So any man that goes along and reads that, they're going to see a direct controversy here or contradiction with the Bible. But that was actually a common thing back in the time of those kings that when they died, they would praise him highly. And during this time, they would lie about certain things. And one of those things was uh, Hezekiah. Yeah, yeah, he said something like he'd shut up Hezekiah in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. And uh, that's sort of what he had done, in a sense. Right, didn't it's a little difficult to understand the order of events with this. Do the other accounts make it any more clear as far as it appears the rumor came and he left and then did he come back? And I then, think that's what happened. That's my take. It, it, isn't it the case that he was at Jerusalem when the 185,000 were I think so. slain based yes. on, but not this account obviously, but... well. Verse 37. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home. So I think he has come back in the interim. That's what. That's the way I see it. Okay. JP. Um, did you say that verse 28 occurred 20 years after? Verse 38. Yeah, about 20 years later and it's about 681. That 
After the 185,000 were slaughtered, and he went back home about 20 years later, he got assassinated. Well, I did anything else on chapter 37, does I think it's funny, uh, how least do I, the Rav Shaka, wanted them to leave so badly. They wanted them to leave so badly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have been a lot easier if they'd have surrendered, wouldn't it? <laughs> Bring it. Okay, other questions or comments? Yes, Tim. see much uh, struggle it's sort of like when God decides to end the battle it's over <laughs> yeah good point right I just thought it was interesting how Rat Jack has been chapter and a half talking smack about what he's going to do one person really accurate movie based on the biblical text it probably wouldn't do well Now, it doesn't take us long. God, God doesn't have to overstate his case before he acts. You know, it's kind of like, what do you know if you say or look at it, uh, oh, I don't know, two, two guys who are, who are going to go out and play one-on-one -on -one in basketball. And one of them just constantly talking, constantly telling how good he is, and, you know, this and that. And the, other. and the other one's just remaining quiet. Who are you going to put your money on? <laughs> the quiet guy is the guy who doesn't have to talk. He'll, he'll show on the court what he can do. You know, usually that's the case. That's certainly the case with the Lord. He'll show it on the court. You know, that's all it takes. Sennacher has to boast and brag and keep talking about all the great things he's done. It's a very good point. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, good point. Other thoughts? Yeah. 